Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to the Nomad Rising podcast. I am your host, Morgan Jones, and today I'm talking with one of my best friends, John Gilligan. I've been friends with John for about eight years, and when I was 18, he gave me a copy of A Separate Reality by Carlos Castaneda, which triggered a fascination in magic, meditation, psychedelics, and we've been very good friends since. This will be the last local podcast and I should be traveling around the UK by the next episode. So without further ado, I introduce my good friend, John Gilligan. Welcome to the podcast, John. <laughs> Officially. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, why don't you introduce yourself um, and give us a bit of a backing story. Uh, I'm John Gilligan. Born 1958. Oh, I've got that time, by the way, for you. Um in Birmingham or as I like to say Sutton Coalfield <laughs> and uh, I have four children all grown up the oldest is 41 this year and the youngest is 31 and I live in mid wales uh i run two businesses uh, a furniture store and an auction house i run an auction house along with a friend of mine and uh, he's an auctioneer i do a bit of auctioneering and i do yoga but i haven't for a year because of covid and I play squash to keep myself active. And we're supposed to be getting back to playing squash now. But uh, the friend I play with has got some injuries <laughs> from playing football. So there's squash at the moment. Um, I read a lot. I meditate almost every day. Uh I feel the meditation helps me sail through the day of ordinary affairs, of running a business in 21st century UK. I'm currently sitting in Cushy Numbers, your bed and sofa shop. Yeah, it's a good place to to be because it's uh, it's safe, secure, comfortable, very comfortable. Very cushy. Very cushy. And we did install air conditioning this last year. So if it gets hot, we can even turn the air conditioning on. And it's, uh, I've been, I started this business in 37 years ago. I think it was about 36, 37 years ago, which is quite an achievement really to keep a business going all through different governments, different prime ministers, different recessions covid 
particularly COVID, because we couldn't open our doors to the public, we weren't allowed to. And even now we're still wearing masks here in Wales. I had a week in England a couple of weeks ago, and no mask required, <clears throat> which was really strange, but it was really great. You wow. know. I think you got confidence just walking. No need for masks, even in Wales. <laughs> Give us a bit of a rundown of uh, what you've done up until you started Cushion Numbers. Well, I worked... When I first left school, actually, I worked in in furniture uh, briefly, uh, which is odd because then I came back to furniture. <clears throat> uh, I came back to furniture because a friend of mine, his father run... Um, a group of furniture stores and so I was somewhat headhunted because they knew I could talk and I could sell and so I was headhunted but when I first left school I happened to work in a, a furniture shop in uh, in Birmingham and then I've always wanted to I've always wanted to work for myself I worked for my father for a, for a while because he had, he had his own business which a brother of mine runs to this day. And then I worked in television. That was interesting. I worked at um, the BBC and that was fascinating because you meet a lot of the celebrities um, and you see everything behind the camera, which was, which was really exciting. And some great party times as well and uh, the when I worked at Pebble Mill in Birmingham the they would film things like Doctor Who which my dad always said was a load of rubbish and I think Michael Grade when he took over the BBC he said get rid of that load of cobs, codswallop and then it became the big hit it is now but when I was there it was filmed and the props were all they weren't locked up at the time so they were all out and then you would just walk down the corridor and you'd see a few stray Daleks. <laughs> and uh, I remember I wanted to go with the gold Dalek, which I don't really watch Doctor Who, but I presume he would be the leader. <laughs> so I wanted to get in the. So I did. I got in the gold Dalek with its uh, shepherd's, shepherd's casters and this little wooden bench and uh, rolled along the corridor. <laughs> burst into security <laughs> but they knew it was me but it was great fun and I remember um, one of the shows one night was um, Don McLean had come over from the USA very big star and recorded a an hour and a half concert or whatever and he's the grand piano was there after he'd left the building and then we obviously would be partying and drinking in the in the club and uh, we would just go down and be able to go into the studio and sit on the piano. And there was a guy called George who worked in the prop department and he could play mean piano. And we'd just have a great sing-song. You know, and you think, you know, two hours earlier, this was being broadcast and recorded for millions of people to see. And there we are sitting on the piano, not abusing it, but having, just having a great time. Real impromptu concerts. And then I worked with um, Ken Loach, a very famous film director. I did six weeks on a film 
I was freelance at the time and uh, I worked in the costume department where we went up to uh, in Yorkshire and we were making a film called Blackjack which Barry Norman who did film review for the BBC said uh, I, I think the year was about 78 perhaps 79 so he did film film 78 or 79 in which he said it sounded very much to me as if the script was made up by the crew and as they went along and it it was a bit like that because there was just French money put into it you couldn't get any money through British avenues and we had to make we had to make I think it was do we have 250 extras and we had to make them look like 10,000. So it was a lot of changing of costumes, swapping this jacket with that jacket, swapping a hat here, making sure nobody's got a watch on because it was set in, I think it was set in about 1600, something like that. And uh, and we had the most awful rain. And the film company had rented a big country house, no heating, and all they had was like an open fireplace and we had to build fire just to dry the costumes every night because you you couldn't go asking these 250 extras to put on wet clothes the next day but it was great fun i stayed in a farmhouse <coughs> uh with a rattly window i remember because we wouldn't get back from we'd often finish in the pub and have a meal i wouldn't get back till 12 1 in the morning something like that and then back up at six o'clock in the morning with a rattly window keeping you awake I was so tired, but it was very exciting to see what goes on behind the camera. So I, the, anything on the TV now or films, it doesn't have a mystery for me, but I still like it. And then I I got married then, and so it was either sort of stay down the party line of the BBC. And I remember one New Year's, you know, you have six, seven parties to sort of do a circuit of. And um, so I settled down and had my first two children and uh, then you think well okay I've got to provide for them now so I worked um, worked for my father for a while <coughs> I didn't it didn't really work out because I wanted to take his business which was very much in the dark ages I wanted to sort of try and progress the business and bring it up into a bit more modern with a bit of technology in that but that that wasn't that was frowned upon so you know because of the the fact that we'd have to spend 300 pound on a testing machine you know and so uh, I, I left there and I was sort of headhunted by my friend's father who'd got these eight furniture shops and that's where I really got into furniture then it was um, it was good because I was working with a mate and I was self-employed and um, it was good. I was uh, I was selling, and then I became their area manager then because I could go around and kick ass, you know. And he'd have um, we had a concession behind a huge co-op hypermarket. I think it was it subsequently became a car for. So it was a big, massive store. But behind the tills, we had a concession, only a a, a couple, well, maybe two thousand square feet, maybe if not fifteen hundred square feet, and you had. A, a trapped audience because the people are coming through the tills and looking at your furniture but one of the staff who would run that was a friend of the director's wife 
And whenever I went there, she'd be hiding behind a headboard, reading a book. And you, you, can't, you can't do that in retail. So I would, if I would be there for a week, the figure would just be outstanding. You know, shows what it's capable of if you stand there and you face the public and you sell. But sitting behind a headboard, it's not going to work. So I was good at that. And then I thought, right, I'd like to work for myself and start my own business. And so I did. I started selling secondhand, delivering in a little van, um, a trailer behind the, the van. And then I... I had a friend whose mother lived here just outside uh, where we are now, a couple of miles outside town, lovely little cottage, no television, a couple of twigs for a fire, and it was just great to come. I was When I first came over here, I think I was 16, and I came on the back of my friend's Triumph 750 Merida bike. And it was just magical to just get away. Although we lived in Sutton Coalfield and it was quite, it was nice. And we we lived, you know, my dad had provided us with a, a nice big house. Um, and we had space. When I came here, it was like, oh, this is just it's beautiful. It's just away from what was I considered a rat race then. And when you go back now, you think, gosh, how it's grown. And, uh, and then eventually I thought... <clears throat> Um, this is the kind of place I'd love to to live, but how can I earn money? So I I had a, I had a partnership with in business with the former director of the the group of companies, and we started a place, and I would do three and a half days a week, and he would do three and a half days a week, and uh, and I would commute from here in Mid Wales down to Burton on Trent, but it was such a bind going away from this place was was awful i had to get up very early in the morning and so <clears throat> i thought well maybe look at opening open a furniture store here as it happens i opened one 15 miles away from one of the largest independent retail furniture outlets in the whole of the uk but that was it worked for me because it was like that's a dam i can sort of people who are going to that store and they're going into the city and they're going into shrewsbury and telford they've got to pass my door and uh, I'd got a couple of friends in the trade that I'd built up friendships with who were manufacturers. And they knew I'd got the ability to sell furniture and they were quite happy to back me. I sold everything I had to put the money into my own shop. And uh, they were prepared to give me stock on sale or return. So I didn't have to buy I bought 30% of the stock when I first opened, but the other 70% was not owned by me. So it wasn't even insured by me. It was insured by the friends I'd built up in the trade. And it was great because I remember getting these premises here and uh, starting to decorate them. And then there was an articulated lorry full of furniture on its way. Very exclusive furniture, which was supplying places like uh, Selfridges and things like that, real high-class furniture, and I was going to get it without paying a penny. All I did was sell on a commission basis. So without their help, then uh, it wouldn't have um, it wouldn't have happened. And then slowly, I started buying the stock until we owned a whole lot. Then, and then just kept the business going. Um, 
we opened a carpet section when I got married to uh, my second wife and um, she was very good she'd got the flair and that for furniture and for carpets and she ran the carpet department which I then lost during the divorce we'd been together for about 18 years and had two other children so I'd got four children and then with meeting my second wife uh, she was wonderful with the children from my first marriage uh, she was the most perfect stepmom and so because of that the children didn't like to leave her they they were really distraught every time we took them back to their natural mother and eventually they decided they wanted to come and live with us um, much to there was an acceptance in the first place from their natural mother but then there was a sudden change of mind you know you're you're not having them trying to use them as pawns and then she's trying she stopped me seeing them from nine month period but I in the meantime went and applied to the courts and it took me that long to get in front of a, a judge in those days and uh, I won custody of um, of the two boys and uh, Daniel was eight, Paul was five, which in those days, in 1989, was a big victory. But we had a fantastic judge who could just see the truth of the situation, and he could see that these boys just needed one thing, that was love and stability, and we could do that. And uh, Paul um, <clears throat> is... Um, still with me to this day you know he, he was at school statemented with special educational needs and uh, he's still with me to this day and he's now was born in 1983 so he's 39 38 39 oh, my maths i'm not going to try and he's still with me to this day you know and i'm i'm i make sure everything's sorted for him he's very capable he drives he uh, works here, he delivers, he does all our recycling, um, fantastic. Uh, then natural mother long since emigrated to America. And uh, I was really pleased with, with that accomplishment that we, uh, we won custody of the boys, that all important care and control. And just stick, we just stuck to the truth and in front of the judge, we just spoke it as it was. And he was, um, fantastic it was a great victory so they are my children live not to live in Cardiff uh, my daughter uh, who I saw a horse last night I'll, sh I'll show you a video she's got this horse 18 hand it's huge I'm five foot ten and it was as tall as me at its withers down at the bottom of his neck yeah. that's how tall it was there and it's only when you look at the video of the of a horse that she she got it's like wow <laughs> what a beast and she gets like he's six year old and i said what's it like riding it she said well, it's a bit wobbly in the beginning because he's not really well schooled but he's starting to come good now and then as i say um paul lives um lives with me and we just keep working away and then we opened an auction house um trying different things really to diversify when the shopping became much more online 
It was reading the market. And I think in business, all you have to do is know your market, follow your market and read your market and try and just get ahead of the game and see where the market's going. And I haven't always succeeded in that, but obviously after 37 years or even 40 years working for myself, um, you know, I've got it right more often than not. And that to me is, is the important part about running a business is just seeing, almost seeing the future and seeing where the market's going. And I know online is really growing. I buy online. Everybody buys online and it's going to come more. But at least with us, we have tailored our showrooms and our stock to to people who generally don't buy online. They are not the sort of um, looking for something at a price. They're looking for something that they want to feel, they want to touch, they want to sit in it, they want to try it. And we used to advertise, you know, see it, feel it, try it and buy it. Um, and we do that. And so we don't bother to go right bottom end because that's where the online market tends to tends to go. And it's carried us through. And then we diversified into the auction house seven years ago, the auction house. And uh, I used to buy second hands at auction when the market dropped. I used to buy second hands to, uh, again, follow the market. When my market went down, I went down with it. And that's how we survived. And uh, when the market came up, we went up with it. And so I, I had never been to an auction. And it was a friend of mine's father who, he phoned me one Saturday and he said, can you get the van over here? There's a pink drail on three-piece suite here for £2 if you want it. And what? <laughs> £2? He said, yeah, but you've got to get here by five. I said, I can't get over there. I said, because I'm, I'm in the shop on my own. And he came in on the Monday and I said tell me about this auction and he said yeah you often get three-piece suites in for a couple of quid and they're in great condition or pine wardrobes or whatever he said you'll fill your van for 80 pounds so I said next time you go can I go with you and we'll take the van and we did went over 80 pound 100 quid filled the van came back refurbished cleaned repaired kept us going came to that um that was quite a few years ago probably 14 years ago perhaps and uh we so of course that was my dabble into auctions and i found it exciting i would just sit there um i'd buy a bit of furniture etc but then i'd be fascinated with what would come up for sale and so um we thought right let's uh, diversify and start our own auction which um we started very much bottom end boxes of odds for two quid and we built it up nicely it's come up nicely and now it's online it's been online for about a year over a year now and that goes out to a wide audience through a website that we we subscribe to we pay and that's uh that's done really well we we have um it's called tower auctions tower auctions yeah because mm. on our building here this building we're in now was built during the war the second world war and it was built to make ammunition and uh, weaponry and the building is so solid it's built to contain explosions and there's a big walk-in safe which i think they used to keep the precious metals in or the, the gunpowder i'm not sure but on top of the building is a tower 
it's about eight foot square perhaps ten foot square and it goes up about 20 feet and it's it was a machine gun lookout tower because they say apparently hitler was going to invade ireland and then come through england through wales and literally stormtroopers marching down our <laughs> a road outside Newtown through Newtown, Newtown and so there are there were three machine gun bricks where you could they're chamfered so you could put a machine gun through I've left the one open on the back and um, just in case just in case <laughs> and um, that's why we named it Tower Auctions because the tower we use it for advertising and um, it works well in fact we're thinking of putting a nice great big clock on it next year when we do a bit of refurbishment on it and then um i've got a couple of horses when i was married to my second wife we ended, we ended up with 12 horses and uh two of the children went the pony club route and uh i've still got uh, two lovely old 31 32 year old mares hack on them they're still in very good health for their their age and um and then I've got, um, I had to, I have an interest in boats. I've had various boats over the time. And uh, one I sold to a very prominent uh, Lord, Lord Donaldson, who was a master of the rolls, so the top legal man in the country at the time. And that was an interesting brush with lords and ladies. And... Uh, I've just sold a boat recently now because the weather's turning and uh, I'm hoping to get into property now. I want to build uh, a place. I was talking to you earlier about saying I wouldn't mind just buying a plot of land and getting a few volunteers up to help us build. Yeah, that'd be good. I'll certainly be volunteering for you. Build a load of yurts. What do they call them, yurts? Are they just yurts over in the cold countries, like in... Alaska and stuff like that, or is a yurt a yurt anywhere in the world? I think so. I think a yurt is a specific tent from, I don't know, Mongolia or something like that. Is that where it goes from? Like, well, I don't know, but something like that. Yeah, and we met in San Adlois Sports Centre. In Well, I was in sixth form, we become a lifeguard. And, uh, yeah, what, like 17 working there, you come in for squash. Yeah. And... Yeah, you come in, do your squash, and then you stand there for a good half an hour plus, chatting to me quite happily. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, well, there's a customer who needs my help here. I think uh, I can avoid doing work and have a nice chat with you. I remember John. you saying, actually, how you were surprised I knew your name. And that was what you said. That was interesting when you said, you know, I was just surprised how you, how you knew my name because I said Morgan, and you was like, you yeah, don't have badges on or anything like that. And then you, when you, we got talking and you said you were going off travelling, which I thought was really incredibly brave that you were going off. Weren't you going off to the upper, the, what, the Arctic Norway. Circle? To yeah. Norway. And then I read some books um, at the time that came my way from, uh, written by Carlos Castaneda. And I thought, oh, I, I've got a book here that um, you might just take on your travels. And and that's really where we sort of you know started mm. talking on similar sort of levels. So I was about to leave, and oh, I think I I bought you a squash ball. I think because I was going to finish. I bought a squash ball. Came around here. 
I don't think you were in, but I gave it to Graham. Yes, I remember that. I, was like, yes. I give this to John, tell him he's my favourite customer. <laughs> oh, cool. Then, yeah, I remember. And then the next time you popped in and I was there, you were, you gave me a separate reality yes. by Carlos Castaneda. Yeah. And I took that travelling. And you wrote my, I told you I'd write you a letter. So, yeah. So you put your address in, in the book. Yeah. And I've got all the letters because whenever you travelled. So, yeah, I went off. Started reading this Castaneda, bought a one-way plane ticket to Norway, 18, just finished school. Get get there and suddenly realise, ooh, okay, I'm a little bit lonely. This is, a, <laughs> this is quite the uh, When did that hit you? When adventure. you first landed or when you're on the plane? When did that sort of first hit you? Like, oh my God, I'm, I'm well, 18 from... The plane was all right. I was chatting with a guy next to me. That was quite nice. Got there, sort of. I booked a hostel for two days in Oslo. And then I got to the hostel then and then dropped my stuff off. And it was that then, point. <laughs> I'm just in this big city, just totally by myself. <laughs> yeah, first time properly like, leaving. Wow. Home, thousands of miles away from home. <laughs> Don't know what I'm going to do. So that was a bit, yeah. So those first two days were a bit tough in the city. And once I like got out and I just started hitchhiking and hit the road, it got a little bit easier then. But in wow. the countryside, I think it's just so hitchhiking. brave to just going not going over there with no contact, just straight over there, launching yourself over there, one way ticket. I, I thought uh, that's what I did admire. But at the time, brave for me was every other person around me, like sticking around in this uh, shithole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but as shitholes go, it's not too bad. It's not too bad, it's but I needed to get out of here. <laughs> but then, yeah. And then, yeah, traveling through there. And yeah, it's quite tough traveling by yourself, hitchhiking and sleeping in your tent. I mean, you've got to deal with yourself. You know, it's quite lonely. I mean, you have neighbours, which is different to me, and that's why I pr preferred my situation where I, I have, I live on a hill, and I had no, na I have no neighbours. I had no neighbours because, but now I have two neighbours because the farmer, who owns the whole place, has developed the barns, and I've got two sets of neighbours there, which are great. They're fine, um, but I'm, I will have to move because now there's a barn above my house which they own, and they've also put in planning permission for that now. So I'll end up with three neighbours, and the last one has got two windows overlooking my very private garden, where I have a massive trampoline, and I love to go home on dry nights. I just sit there on the trampoline. I sometimes I use the trampoline as well, but basically I'm off the grass, so I'm not worrying about dog poo, not worrying about bugs. I can just lie there with a pillow, and I'll stay there and watch the stars come out at night. It's great. But with neighbours overlooking me, they'll just think, oh, who's this weird guy? <laughs> so that's why I'm planning next year a, a move because of that. You know, I, I don't blame them. I mean, it's it's money for them. They're bringing in, you know, four, four rentals from one farm. But for me... Um, it's a stroke too far. The other neighbours at the back don't really interfere with us much. But, you know, the, the other day I'm starting the boat engine. You're aware, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I am neighbourly. I don't want to be revving the balls off an engine. <laughs> the neighbours' windows are open on a hot day. So it's just that, that air of, I just like to be with no neighbours. I love no, no neighbours. I love my peace and quiet in the, uh, in the countryside. So... Uh, it's community more for me. It's, yeah, it's. I like to. I do like fan of community. Here, it's not. I do like my quiet time because during the day there's a lot of words spoken. 
sometimes too many words and you just want to go where there's no words where there's no words is quite magical for me that's why i meditate you know the, the words are there when you start meditation and then when you stick at it and i've meditated now seriously for probably 10 years and it probably took me f five years to really hone in on what meditation is and 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 try and find the right spot the right time of day i would try you know normally the easiest thing to do would be to try the evenings where the evenings are free but it just didn't work for me and it just naturally when you persevere that you intend you want to meditate you want to you want to do this thing where you're just quiet where there's no words and eventually it does start to click into place and for me it's in the morning and I don't have an alarm I wake up um, nature normally wakes me up I, I sleep with the window open all year round unless it's really horrendous and when I wake up uh, this morning it was at 10 to 6 it's just time to go and meditate i don't think of going back to sleep there was a time going back 15 20 years ago it was like oh i just want to lie in you know especially running one business big business then but uh, those days have long since gone and i just realized the importance of meditation is that i get more energy and more energized and more centered more balanced um through meditation that than i ever do through sleep and and some mornings and now i'll be up at, i wake up at four o'clock and i'm like wow that is a bit early <laughs> so um i sleep with my little dog bridget my 15 year old jack russell she sleeps on my bed so if i'm up at four o'clock in the morning then i just sort of grab her give her a cuddle and then just go off to sleep for another hour or two and then i take my nutrition seriously so i get up um when I, well, what do you do for your meditation first my meditation i first of all take my nutrition so i, I if i'm up like this morning 10 to 6 I'd, downstairs i make the my nutrition my supplements and uh and and a uh, milk powder formula a bit of safflower the first thing i do is get that down my neck because i don't really do breakfast and then i go over to my sofa sit in the corner of my sofa, get into a meditative position. I always pull a, a, a duvet over me, make a little man cave. And I sometimes I read, perhaps if, if I'm meditating six mornings a week, I'll read for perhaps three. So I might read two pages or I might read ten. And then it's time to put the words away. And then I close my eyes and let the breathing take over. And the breathing's over that amount of years. Eventually, you see the breathing is so important, and you just let the breath naturally find its level. And then I say I go away with the, I call it going away with the fairies. Um, I just uh, let the words go because normally I'll be there. Something will come to mind about what's coming in the business day what needs doing at home all the usual old crap you know that comes up that's got it's got to be faced it's got to be done but you push it away and say it's not the time you know you laugh and say oh, come on you know stop thinking about a spark plug on an outboard motor <laughs> there's a time and a place and it's not not in my meditation time and so you over the years you just learn to let the words come but also just 
Let them, them go. Let them go. And then I get so relaxed and I end up, end up in some positions where even when I do yoga, I can't get into those positions because you you still got that that mem- that muscle tightness, even though your teacher's coming and saying, relax your shoulders. And I'm thinking, well, my shoulders are relaxed. And then she touches my shoulders and they go down another three inches. Yeah, <laughs> okay. But but in meditation, it just all oh, you just go into this this clump, <laughs> and you the the words have gone, and then you just go with it, and you f- you feel when you come back uh, to out of meditation, you just feel ready to take on the day. You know, I I, I think I liken it to that. You know, I I empty when I meditate, and then. It's important then I to get up and to fill up again, and I like that because it's that balance, you know. And I've always said to you, like you know, otherwise I may have to be a, a Trappist monk or something like that. I, I do, you know. I don't like to slate them, but you know, I think anybody can go up to a hill and, you know, disappear, and it, it, anybody can do that. But what use are they to man or beast? You know, I'm I'm living in the world of man. I love living in the the world of man. I love functioning in the world of man. I function with with business. I think I think they contribute just as much as you sell in your sofas. They may do. I mean, I, as I say, I can't I can't slate them, but I like. To I mean, not... without those characters in reality, we're missing a whole aspect to the world. That yeah, but I don't. But I just I do think they. I don't know. I can't say. But I mean, for me, I like to empty, and then fill up again, and it's that 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 constant cycle which I like. Is the emptying the emptying? I mean, the emptying is is fabulous, but also it can be. Oh, I could stay here forever, but I don't think that's healthy. I think it's healthy to get up, get off your ass, and do something, whatever it is. If it's a mundane task, even if I was p- pushing trolleys at Tesco. Fine. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I don't think you quite know what these monks do no i don't no i, I don't i don't <laughs> i mean i like, have been t- like and there's different <laughs> well, types of monks. but look a lot of them make a lot of them a lot of them make wine because i've been to monasteries and they all sell wine <laughs> yeah but like zen monks they go about their daily business they do chores and they're just trying to uh, what be totally present be in the now they you know they maintain the whole thing and they're doing some they just do shitty chores all day yeah but it looks easy Probably but is, but is easy. it easy to be hundred percent present with every all of those activities? Yeah, I mean it's like, it's 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 choice. Um, as I say, what works for me is that I m- my life um, is the same as it was when I first started to work. So when I was when in fact in fact when I was I've always worked. When I was fourteen, I had three jobs. I drove. Well, I didn't. I worked as an assistant. We lived um, opposite a golf course. So walk out of our house, and there was a really wonderful eighteen-hole golf course. And I befriended the head gamekeeper, a guy called Fred, I think he was, an old boy. And uh, I got um, work on the golf course. So when I would get up in the morning, then wonderful, four or five o'clock in the morning. Um, during the spring and the summer and the autumn, getting up and then he, he gave me with it had one he did have a single key, the key to his massive Ferguson tractor, an old grey tractor. I loved it. 
you know, getting up at that time in the morning, sunshine, getting on this old track. Well, you know, what 14-year-old kid wouldn't love that, you know? Because I'd, I'd got my own, two of my own cars when I was 14, 15. I couldn't go on the road with them, but we lived on a long private drive, so we could, you know, go up and down there. That's right for some, isn't it? It was great. <laughs> and that was, I was really proud of my dad that he provided that, that he took the plunge and he moved us from a, a semi-detached house which he'd had extended because there was five kids. There was five of us. So you need a pretty big house. And he bought and he, he went to the max. He stretched his finances to the max to buy this um, six-bedroom bungalow. And I'm really proud that he did that because that gave me the space and the freedom and the fact that four of us were boys and one girl, but we could, you know, we had murder bikes. We had go-karts. We annoyed the fuck out of the neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got room, you know, to say the, the driveway. I had two cars. I had an old NSU car and an old Morris uh, Minor 1000. I couldn't afford to put a battery on it. It had got a battery, but it was flat. So, But you could start it with the starting handle. Fortunately, it was very reliable, so you'd go out and turn the ignition on, wind this starting handle on it, start the thing up, because I couldn't afford a battery for a car. And then uh, the golf club, um, I've always managed to fit in, and it was great that I fit in with um, the greenkeeper and the fact that he gave me the keys to his tractor. That was the thing, because apart from that, you'd go do a lot of walking around the golf course, raking bunkers, um, but when I had the keys to his tractor, and because I lived literally 100 yards from the 18th hole, I'd go and get uh, the tractor out at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I'd go around and drive around the whole 18 holes. Um, and you had a big bamboo pole with a flexi fiberglass, um, almost like a big CB aerial or something, big stick on it, a whippy stick. And you would just go round and brush the grass of the green and that would take the dew down into the grass so it would naturally give the grass on the green a bit of water. And it was just, you could make patterns in it. So I used to do all 18 holes before the golfers arrived. I don't know, I think it was about nine o'clock start. And then then I would go and do a paper round before, I, if it was at school time, I'd still do a paper round. And then on a Saturday morning, I would do a milk round. I would help on a milk round, a milkman's van, which was great because you're delivering milk. You know, I'm sort of 14, 13, 14, 15, maybe. And you're delivering milk. You get it. You're out. You can drink as much gold top jersey, gold top milk as you like. And then we'd go to a cafe, sausage and egg sandwich. It was it was great. The, the worst part was probably the paper round. That was very laborious. Walking around the streets with a great big sack of newspapers. Yeah, I've done the paper round. Yeah, but three jobs. I had enough money then to have my two little old rough as shit cars. And uh, I didn't really know anything about cars, but I learned uh, uh, so much on cars that I can do pretty much uh, most jobs on a car now, apart from anything to do with a gearbox. And uh, I bought my own boat. Um, when I was 14. It was only a little old wooden speedboat that I put a little put-put engine on. It would, it would never, this thing would never go fast, and you wouldn't go fast in it. You wouldn't want to go fast in it anyway. 
but uh, I was very proud my dad would do that. He wouldn't take family allowance when he first came in, family allowance, um, which all ch children qualify for. Uh, it was my mum who had to say, you know, this is stupid, this is state money, you know, and he was like, oh, I'm not in any state bringing up my kids. So he was a good provider. And um, and in school, you um, most of your friends were the teachers. I was very, I was good friends with the teachers. I'm, I, I probably worm my way in in any situation I'm in. I'm adaptable, let me put it that way. Probably a good actor, good masks, good set of masks. Because with the teachers, because I hated school. I hated bureaucracy. I hated when somebody asked me my date of birth. I would, I would refuse. I would if unless I had to give my date of birth, say to a police officer, as I did when I was driving, riding a motorbike illegally <laughs> underage. But I would hate, you know, this 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 point in time that people want to know. And uh, but with teachers, I became very friendly, not like a teacher's pet. But with one teacher, I was in a uh, fishing club, so we'd go fishing uh, together, and I'd, I'd go around to him and his, his family, his wife, and they had a little child, go around there and have dinner. Um, fantastic. Another teacher, a uh, great player of the electric fiddle, he had a band, which I was saying to somebody the other day, the band. I'm going back now. Oh, my goodness me. Uh, I'm going back... 45, 45 years at least. And that band is still going to this day. Obviously, the members must and may have changed. And particularly the teacher who was the music teacher at the school I was in. He didn't teach me music, but he did teach my one of my brother's music. Uh, and he could play. He played electric, electric fiddle in the band. And the band's called Quill. And, the, and I looked on listings, I think it was for... Theatre 7 in Shrewsbury a few weeks ago and there was Quill this is a band still going you think wow you know kudos to them like you know and so with them I would go to um I would have been now probably about 15 going on 16 and I would go to uh to clubs watching them perform and I'd just get pissed as a fart but you know and then another teacher it was a maths teacher he uh oh when well let me go back because when i when i was 11 i went to a high school which was a mile or so from where we lived in the semi-detached house and when you 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 fit in and you sort of get into that role you think right okay because i hated it you know that the 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 last day of summer holiday the dread of going back into that school the next day was terrifying and I suppose that's why I learned to adapt and to act and fit my way in and another then we moved my dad bought the big house and that was about nine ten mile away from school and all my siblings moved to schools near the the big house and I didn't want to because I'd got my niche I was I was I was in I was only eleven but I'm I know I'm 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 in here I'm okay this this will do I can survive this so I again proud of my dad because I said look I don't you know want to leave that school and he was great you know he didn't say well you just got to leave school you know go to the other school with your your brothers um, he said no if you find a, a way of getting to school he said I'll pay because the, the state wouldn't pay for me to get to school and so I paying buses and trains and actually I would go on the train every day and 
uh, and then I, with that school, that's where I managed to, you know, become, I think I became a prefect. Um, but I, I, I enjoyed school because um, there was only one teacher I thought was a complete nutter prat, and he probably thought I was a prat, but he did catch me smoking um, on a school field trip, I think it was. But all the other teachers, great, you know, and, 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 and it was not where, you know, I'd go back into the school the next day and say, you know, to my peers, you know, I was out with Sir last night or Miss so-and-so. And then another teacher I was in um, amateur dramatics society with. Uh, and then another teacher <laughs> um, I befriended as well. He w That's where I got my uh, role in television when I worked in TV because he was friends with a, a reporter who would do a Midlands magazine programme and he was um, the TV, new, not a news reporter, but an, an item report, you know. And so we, he said, as, he was an English teacher and he said as part of our sort of project, he said, we're going to go to the studios. Uh, if, if I think it was six of us could go five or six of us could go and we watch the program go out live which is like 6 30 i think so yeah i'm up for that uh i must have been 16 because i had my moped because I, I distinctly remember and so i said well i'll make my own way there and the rest went in his car i presume so i set out on my moped and biblical rain came down i'm driving now it's probably 15 mile to the bbc studios and it just pissed it down absolutely fat old rain and i was piss wet through and i thought there's no way i can walk into tv studios like this so he'd given the teacher had given me the number of this reporter guy um, and so I pulled over, went to a phone box before mobile phones and I phoned him and I said, look, you've seen the rain. I'm, I'm in this rain on my motorbike. I'm piss wet through. And he said, no problem. He said, you know, give me a ring, um, anytime, give me a ring and you can come for like a private viewing of the show. And I thought, that's cool. I went, great. Okay. So drag myself back home, dried myself out. And then I, a few days later, I couldn't wait just to ring. I think, oh, yeah, let's go and see what goes on in a TV studio. Very excited. And I rang him and he said, yeah, pop up. And actually, we became friends. Uh, and that's where my, my, uh, my um, time in television sort of started. Um, yeah, went and watched this show go out live. And then uh, we just became friends and I would go there all the time. And then eventually I worked there and uh, m meeting and I, t I would take friends as well who would be fascinated to say well you know come and have a drink at the club and then we watch a bit of tv going on said, oh, what? there is such a buzz i don't know about now i think it, it, it changed a lot but i still think there must be a buzz in it because when i've gone to be in an audience for shows you know over the last few years you know you get tickets to go and graham norton and stuff like that you know there's still that you can feel that buzz is there but i I don't think it's what it is when we were there because the rules and regulations were much more 
relaxed and um it, it was just really exciting and, and meeting you know some some great characters um and i'm still young i was still very young and i remember once pissed as a fart again in the club um the uh just the, the 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 drinking circle and the smoking circle i was smoking then as well and cigarettes then at the bbc were subsidized like if you were in the forces if a packet of cigarettes on Sibby street was 50p in in the forces and in the bbc any i presume any large government establishment they would be uh, 20p so you could you know you'd smoke you you freaking head off <laughs> And um, I remember talking in a circle and the head of the BBC Asian unit in the Midlands was there and there's perhaps eight or ten of us talking away and I'm still only, what, I'm probably 17, I don't know, 17, 17. I'll work out the maths, but I, but I was still very young and, and I remember this guy who ran the Asian department smoking a pipe and he's puffing away on this pipe. And, you know, when you've had a drink, you sort of get mesmerised by the, the most simplest of things draws your attention. Puffing away on this pipe. So I thought, so I, I piped up and said, Jerry, is there an art in smoke piping? <laughs> Never knew I'd said it the wrong way around. And it was only that friend of mine later on that night said, do you realise what you asked Jerry? And I said, yeah, I asked him if there was an art in, in pipe smoking. He said, no, no, you said, is there an art? in smoke piping <laughs> so i must have sounded like a prat on many occasions but it was still great it was still great fun and uh and so my school going out with the teachers you know the, the music teacher watching the band play um it was great mm. it was great it made school fantastic because you know, these teachers I'm friends with are never going to be shitty teachers, you know. But I'd, do, I'd still do my work, you know, but I, I, I still didn't like doing the work. I remember arguing with the one. The one then passed my, when I moved as well. I forgot to say, when I moved to the big house, so I'm about 12, 15 miles away, one of the teachers says, well, well, I live in Tamworth and I pass the end of your your snobby private drive. <laughs> every morning and every night on the way to school i pass by at half past eight you know if you want a lift you've got this little mini and uh i said yeah that'd be great so that was another way of getting to school but he did say i'll turn the corner and if you're not there i'll carry on and there were mornings where i saw him turn the corner and carry on as i was just 400 yards away but yeah many mornings i'd just jump in his car and he was that that was the maths teacher glenn smith um again fantastic i remember arguing with him once about algebra because I, I think i'm fortunate on my mind i like to think my mind works logically and i like to work out what's going on in anything be it mechanical or anything and uh, i hated algebra couldn't see the point of this algebra shit i thought what the fuck is this all about so i um would argue and say to him what are we why what are we I wouldn't use those words, but I basically, well, what are we doing this shit for? This is a, this is X equals what? And he said, oh, well, you know, when I'd argue, he said, oh, it's because it teaches your mind to, or your brain to think logically. And I said, well, but if your brain is 
already logical, then it's illogical to try and teach it to be logical. And he just said, oh, well, it's part of the national curriculum. Get on with it. Anyway, I'm going to go for a piss. Uh, so, yeah, um, we've been friends. Well, you're 24 now. So it's, 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 it's got to be eight years. Yeah. Eight years. Or well, six years. No, uh, eight years, yeah, eight years. 16, that's 17. amazing, yeah, it's eight yeah, years, yeah. when I handed it's, you that book. Yeah, let's go back to Castaneda, and, oh yeah, yeah, reading that, travelling, and, it was it a separate reality, was it separate reality, yeah. the second yeah. one, ah, and then, I brought that back home, and my mum's read all, yeah, all I remember you saying, your mum was into Carlos yeah. Castaneda, yeah, so she gave me the first one, uh, the teachings of Don Juan, a Yaki way of life, and um yeah so reading that first one i suppose then start with traveling and it's it's a it's a tough read it is a tough read i can certainly see if you're I, not I in the, the right place two. in your life then, I think the first two are a tough read for anybody yeah you're gonna struggle yeah but i got to i remember i was in trondheim in norway sort of city in the middle of norway um yeah sitting at a park and you know sort of just trying to deal with myself i suppose and yeah, trying to read through this book. What is this book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The shaman stuff yeah. is interesting, but okay. And uh, and then Don Juan's talking to uh, Carlos about uh, how to become a man of knowledge, mm. and he sort of talks about this. I suppose it's like a medicine wheel, or I suppose you work it as a spiral. But there's four stages, four gates you've got to cross in yeah. order to become a man yeah. of knowledge. Yeah. And the first gate is fear. Mm. Once you cross fear, then you've got to sort of ego comes up, and you've got to battle your ego. You got to deal with clarity. Or does ego come more into power, perhaps? Or maybe it's cockiness. No, got to get over that. You've got clarity now. You can see things. You get, and then once you conquer that, then you've got power because then you've got the control. And so with the power, you've got, I suppose, or the the illusion of control. If you're still trapped with a bit of fear and not quite in the clarity, then the control you perceive as being control is actually more of an illusion of control. Whereas when you, if you conquer all three and you can overcome fear, which is, the, they're, they're all equal hurdles actually, but you, you see the first one as a, a monstrous fear. If you, overcome, if you can overcome the fear of becoming knowledgeable and seeing, as they say, then the clarity uh, comes and but then eventually if you if you're in p- power but you're not uh, using power correctly then obviously it's because for you, so they, they all link mm. going back and forth back and forth and then the last one is time oh the beautiful one the time the, cl- the ticking clock. old age about to hold you get keep keep fighting and keep well i say to you you know you when you look at what man can do to each other and what man can do to a planet um Imagine if they all had all the time in the world. There's got to be that beautiful ticking clock, which mm. is no, 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 no more. No more. <laughs> enough is enough. Yeah. But yeah, I read this and or oh, everything, well, a lot of things made sense. I'm like, shit, I've just got to deal with fear right now. That's all I am. Yeah. I'm, just, yeah. I'm just afraid, afraid of what, being here by myself. I don't know. 
So I'm like, shit. But then there's all these other bloody hurdles after that. That's just the first step. So, <laughs> like, oh, okay, that's easy. If I've got all the way to go here and this is just the beginning, then that was very, yeah, very helpful for me. The rest of my trip then, I'm like, well, this is just fear. We get over that and there's still a long way oh, to go. There's <laughs> a long, long way to go. So then after that, yeah, you got your address in the back of the back of your book. So yeah, I was like, oh, I'm letters. gonna I'm gonna write this guy a few, that a few was great. stories. And you're not a brilliant writer and you're you're just lexic like me, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. But it was great to receive that I think that first one was like about five full A four pages, both sides, a, t- a ten pager. Wow. Fascinating. I've still got them. We'll have to do a, a session where I read them. Or you, I'll read them back to you. Actually, yeah, that would be cringy. No, no, it would. I think that would be great because they are fascinating to see. Especially when I was in awe of your traveling, like just how you can just go and travel, whether it's escapism or whatever. It's the fact is, you are you are getting on a plane, you're fucking off out of here on your own, no return ticket. Scares the shit out of me. But you know, but like wow. And then to receive the letter and to to really experience what you were experiencing and the fear and all this. And I remember uh, all of them, all the letters you've sent has been great, you know. Apart from when you sent that one cigarette for uh, Ben, which the customs sort of seized, but it was only it was it was fine. They let it pass through, but it was like two was it two cigarettes from somewhere like. Yeah, from Peru, Mapacho oh, cigarettes. Oh, God, when he lit them up, it was like a bonfire. <laughs> <laughs> the customs opened them, thinking, Did oh, they? Oh, we got here, what we got here? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, they, got a they didn't find... Rock and wood bind, have yeah, we? Yeah, they didn't obviously notice the little bits of a coca leaf that was uh, mixed oh, in. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why he not, was off his tits. No, not that that would really do anything to you. <laughs> and then, you, when... So, then you... W- I was trying to say this to a friend the other day. So you did Norway, and it, I remember that I was telling him about that time when you went into that hut, and the rain came and all yeah, the water. Yeah, it was a beautiful sunny day. Walked down this down this fjord to the sort of you know the sort of the point of the fjord, and there was this little hut there that you could go and you know it's had a little bed and a wood burner and stocked up for hikers. And you had to cross this stream to get to it. And it's a beautiful day. Wake up the next day. Did you think you'd like arrived in heaven? Did you think, oh, this is beautiful. Yeah, birds are singing, (laughs) sun's beating down. And then did the storm come? And then this massive storm came in the night and like torrential downpour, like get up the next day (laughs) and uh, walked down towards this stream, which is now like just a torrential river. I'm like, oh, I can't cross that. (laughs) There's like mountains all around behind me with all the big fog down. I'm like, shit. I've got a bit of food so I have to like hunker down here for a little while <laughs> for, a, and then, for a few months <laughs> yeah. so then I'm like nice and tucked away and suddenly there's like a like knock on the door I'm like oh, Jehovah's who the fuck wit- is that how, is, how, is, how the hell has anybody got in here and um, the guy who'd given me a lift hitchhiking and told me about this spot who lived nearby had sort of got his boat and uh, sort of come he'd to come up the me. river yeah yeah up the fjord Oh, with and, a motorboat uh, or rowing boat? Yeah, a motorboat. And he, wow. he came and uh, rescued He me. knew what the situation you were in. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's amazing, that is. And then I'm soaking wet and I've, you know, eaten most of my food. And I 
go to the shop to buy some more food. Bank card wouldn't work. I'm like, oh shit, okay, I can't. Why, I can't. Wouldn't, it, why wouldn't it work? I don't know. Maybe it's just the shop. I'm like, so okay, where I'm going to need food. I'm like, okay, get on the road. I stick my thumb out and see what happens. And there's a guy who's been standing there, and I walk up to him. He'd been there for like two hours. I stand there with him. Five minutes later, I get a lift. This woman picks us up by herself in a van. Get in a van, start talking to her. And uh, I, I don't I think I said it was from Wales. And she's like, oh, no. Your name Morgan Jones. What? Yes. <laughs> how, how would you know that? And she's like, ah, you emailed me about a volunteering thing. And I'm that like, coincidence. Ah, no way. That I'm is like, strange. <laughs> is there any chance I could like, just come come for the weekend? She's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. That what a coincidence. Yeah. That is amazing. That is that is weird. And so well, that's you, the thing with traveling, the synchronicities yeah. and everything links together and one scenario leads on it, to the next. And if you works. hadn't, that shit thing hadn't happened, this amazing thing over here wouldn't yeah. happen. It's like uh, when you look back at what's happened, even though you're in the thick of a storm or whatever in your life, um, I think it, it's only that if you're, if you're asking for something, so you're ask, you, you want to see through things you want to see the picture you want knowledge and if you ask for it um it, you're you're sort of tapping onto a uh a, a force or something which you know it responds but it responds not in the way we little humans with our words and our reason expect it reacts in the only way it can, which is like th energetically through energy, and it it pushes us into these places and circumstances. And it's only and I remember saying once when I stood up in the uh, in the back hill, and there was a warm wind blowing, and it was a very fierce wind, and I was leaning into the wind, and it was holding me up, and I just sort of shouted out loud you know because you, you're in a bit of turmoil at that time in your life and you just i just remember shouting you once once i know learn the lesson that i have actually asked for you know please let the the suffering end but actually it was an illogical question because when we do learn we really learn the lesson that we've which is on a journey to where we have asked to go it's logical it would end. It's only when us, our ugly, decrepit humanness and reason and words come into play. If you've asked for something bolder and grander, then it's going to kick your ass, you know. But 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 you but you then reach plateaus, and when you look back, it's like you when you look back on your your travelling, you can look back and look at the finesse that was at, at play. That's where, when you're in the thick of something like that, though, um, like your weekend, three or four weekends ago, you, you look at that one at the festival. But when you look back, you go, well, what finesse was at play in my life? Because I've asked and I've tapped something and therefore be careful what you ask for. Because it will it will surely come it, it responds but it doesn't respond as it, oh this is going to be wonderful i'm i'm going to have a house in the country i'm it, it's not it's nothing to do with anything materialistic at all 
and I think that's where you, 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 you've witnessed that yourself. But when you went, after Norway, did you then do Japan? Yeah, well, Norway, through Scandinavia, around Europe, Then back Morocco. here, then Japan. Back here worked a bit, then Japan. And yeah. then from Japan, South America. Nah, no, well, Japan, then I booked a place in uni, like, I yeah. preferred a spot, which, well, that's a bad idea, but... Uh, Seemed good I at had, the time. Yeah, and well, I don't regret it. I made some very good peer, friends. Was that peer pressure, do you think? Your peers are doing this, you should do this. A little bit, yeah. Sixth form's all about push you to go yeah. university and everyone else is going university yeah. and I'm like, oh, I want to go travelling, but oh, okay, maybe I'll book a place in university so I've got this you, thing. I'd... You get roped into it, like, yeah. Next yeah. thing you know, yeah. Did you go... Did you go with, with the intent mainly for university rather than to learn and expand your cranium? Was it just like, oh, this could be a good party scene? No, was, it wasn't no, about partying. No. No. It was something to do. Just I something suppose. to do. Yeah. Uh, like an easy decision. Well, everything in this society is all like, you know, you've got to... You know, you got to have a career, you got to have a job, you got to be doing something, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I never so, went to college. I don't know what to do. So. I never went to higher education because I, I couldn't wait to get out of there. As I say, I, I, I made it, I tailored it to to make it very comfortable and it, and it was great, but I, I couldn't wait to get out of that. Well, no, I, neither I, could I. That's why I bought yeah. one-way plane ticket to yeah. Norway. But then you went, but then but I got back. To and, you went to uni, yeah. Yes, but then I got there and I'm, yeah, I didn't want to be back in school. I'm like, that's... Yeah, and studying, and oh, you know, you got to do this work, and it's fit. It was I was doing film. It was good fun. You know, it was creative, but it was my heart wasn't hundred percent. I like telling stories. I like stories, but but yeah, that wasn't the right place for me at that yeah. that time. Oh, I definitely could. And I just did a year of traveling. I come back, and you're surrounded by you know, lots of eighteen year olds, and I've had experience. They're all children, and it's <laughs> yeah. Though I did need to do the party thing for sure. Yeah, because I hadn't quite. We haven't stopped. Around, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, around, around here, growing up around here, we didn't go. We didn't. You know, we got pissed together and stuff like that. But we we didn't do the party thing too. Well, much. I've never experienced it because I never went to college or university, so I don't know what that scene mm. is, is like. I only see it with friends who. And then again, reading around. Castaneda, like, I don't know what drugs. I don't know. Not drugs are bad, but I don't know. I wasn't so interested in drugs. I smoked a bit of weed with some people, mm. drink, and then read Castaneda, and he's talking about peyote and detour and all, all the these things. And yeah. I'm like, whoa, hang, hang on a minute. You, wait, there's these plants and drugs that they actually take you to like other dimensions and show you all this this magical world. What, mm. what is this? These, these drugs aren't just bad you know then mm, i remember and so that got my interest then so then then i become fascinated with psychedelics and things and yeah and, and that's really got me got me into that i remember one of my first um um, um encounters with magic mushrooms as it turned out was i was asked by by a friend of mine um the, the the normal person who drove with him to Belgium to get their booze and cigarettes and tobacco cheap, um, their wife was very ill. So I was asked because they knew I could drive abroad and I'd driven abroad many times. Would I could I share the driving on a on a basically a booze cruise? And so I said, yeah, no problem. And uh, I was driving down the motorway in the UK heading towards Dover, and. 
All I could hear in the back was my friend's dad saying uh, to his his wife um, in the passenger seat at the back. Me and my friend were in the front of the, the car. I could even just say, I've ever told you this story. I could even say, oh, mm. <laughs> all I could even say was, um, oh, I've got some lovely purples. Lovely, oh, some lovely purples. And I actually, the funny side of me thought, is he into my bag of fucking Skittles? <laughs> but he bombed mushrooms. And quite a bit of them. And of course, he's in, I didn't know this, but all I could hear is, I'm trying to concentrate on the road, and all I can hear is, oh, I've got some lovely purples coming in. I've got some lovely purples. Of course, I see the funny side of it, because, you know, later I find out that he's, he's bombed. He, he puts them in, put, they put them in Rizzler. Is it dried mushroom? Um, uh, what's it called, the mushroom here? Sil- Liberty Caps. Liberty Caps, yeah. And he was getting off his trolley, and I, and I didn't know at the time. I thought, what's, what's he going on? Here? All these colours and these purples. And as I say, I thought he was in my bag of tutti fruities. <laughs> uh, and I thought, but then I later think, God, blimey, I'm sure he's. He, when I find out what he's, he's on, I thought, my God, he's driving this car in a few hours. <laughs> or I think I might have drove most of the way there, most of the way back anyway. We, don't, we didn't even stop the night. It was like literally drive to Dover. Get on a boat, drive to oh, place. It's one of the easiest places to get to in Belgium, where you get the cheap tobacco and that. Agincourt, I think it was Agincourt, and um, buy all the. And I, I didn't smoke and I didn't drink, so I was just you know I don't mind travelling. I, I like to drive abroad and uh, load the car up, head back. <laughs> Why not pop a few mushrooms on the way? <laughs> oh, hysterical uh, to hear those words, and then um, to see uh, to see you and your journeying into uh, the world of psychedelics, but also in Castaneda. There's also a point where Don Juan, because Castaneda's on everything, you know, he's doing all the mescal, mescal. Putting the mescalito ceremony and all this stuff. Well, mescaline is in P.O.T. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, you know, and um, and uh, and all that, and uh, and then Don Juan says to him at one point, he says, uh, "He said, oh yeah, I, I, you know, I put you all through, you know, all that crap." And Carlos says, "You know, I beg your pardon. What do you mean all that crap?" He said, "Oh yeah." You know, it's your your bent of character. I knew you'd uh, you'd you'd fall for it, hook, line, and sinker. I had to hook you somehow, and it was like what I remember when I read that. I thought, my God, what a revelation it must have been to Carlos Casnelli. You know, what the fuck have you put me on? What have you put me through? But if we believe what's in the books, at that time, that's what he needed because he says he was a social scientist, and his his words and his reason was too strong, and some people do need. At times, um, a chemical which will make the words go away. I mean, like when ecstasy is invented, it was for trauma, and people could could open up after trauma. You know, it's great. But like I say, um, I still hold to it today. You know, if you're ill or you are inventing character, you have a, 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 a say a flaw, but you've got something which needs addressing, and you take poisons. You're probably different with me. Then they'll they will cure you. But if you haven't, and you take them, then it's a it is a, a, a each time it is a mini death. They'll kill you. 
But there are that you can experience ego death. You mean like that? Yeah, yeah, and I, 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 and there are people. I mean, I've got. But that is a lesson in itself. Yes, I mean, I've got friends now that I know, uh, who I would really think, you know, if I was ever doing a a serious, um, talking session with them, and we're we're going to talk on a a deep level and start to lose some of the, the words, um, and drop the masks, then they wouldn't be able to converse unless they actually had something like, um, I don't know, mushrooms or acid or something like that. You know, I'm confident of that, but, you know, it's 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 for them to come to me and say, you know, you know, and I, I, do, I do get people who come to me who need um, just a, a session, and I tend to call it Reiki, but all it is really is just where I get them to relax and it's almost I did hypnosis as well I used to I used to have um uh, hearing work actually at the back of one of the units there was a guy who used to make <laughs> make make stuff out of wool he was well into his wool and he would weave and knit wool and and all sorts of stuff like that um and he was a hypnotist a hypnotherapist should I say and I befriended him because he's in the one of the, he was in one of the units at the back here, and every week he would have like this hypnosis club in his unit, and so I would I'm, I'm interested I'll I'll give anything a go, and um, so I would go to him um, with a girlfriend I was with at the time, oh and I found it I found it hysterical I have to see the humour in in everything really otherwise I'm not I'm not interested you know if, if there's no humour in it. I'm, I'm not interested but I would find it funny because you get uh, some of these women were like into sp- spiritualism and all this and mixing it up with a bit of hypnosis and um, it, it was great and I learned to hypnotise people I loved to be hypnotised <coughs> by him and literally if he walked into this day and he just went sleep now then I'd be I'm the most willing volunteer because I've, I've been there and done it and it it doesn't scare me the word is wrong actually hypnos hypnos sleep you're not you're more it's just just shut the shut the words up for a minute you know shut the bloody words up and let something else come into your life like a bit of magic and uh he lectured in it as well in birmingham and occasionally i would accompany him down to birmingham uh an evening college and he would go down and uh, i would help him do his lecture in uh, in hypnosis and then, so that's where I really see Reiki is more. They're all words, they're all titles for basically good intent. We, you know, you've got a friend who just needs a bit of time out. And so all you need to do is get them into a state where they can shut the fuck up, feel safe, feel comfortable, and just relax. It's almost like hypnosis. It's almost like meditation. And it works. I mean, after it, you know, I've had many friends sit right where you are. And, you know, I cover them in a a little man cave blanket or something like that. And then, I, you know, I I label it as Reiki. But it doesn't matter what the label is. The fact is you just want your friend to just have time out. And and, and anybody, when we have time out, we, we feel so much better. And then from there on, you've got to build... You've got to build an in, 
see that time out for what it is and and many don't they just go back to their 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 lives and they 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 fill up again overfill and then they don't they don't always come back to me for a session you know because i'll only ever help those who are prepared to help themselves but a lot do integration same as psychedelics is that what that's just what, what's that word mean integration to you have the experience and then you need to process it and yes. bring it all on board yes yeah, you, yeah. Need to, you might have been shown a lesson but whether you've accepted it and understood it and yeah. it's like it actually is learn from it it is it's a good it's a good stepping stone um most people don't change until we don't change we humans are terrible at changing unless they're shaken to their boots so many people get a life changing experience and normally the best changing experience is associated with death I find death is the best teacher because it won't lie. It's there right in front of everybody. You know, we can all see it in everything we see, whether we have animals who die, loved ones who die. Death is, is, is uh, and actually I like that, those Don, wor- Don Juan's words where it is the best witness to take to your very next act. If you take your impending doom with you to your very next act that you perform, you perform at your best. And I like, I, I do like that approach um, to acting impeccably. And I speak many times to people about this word impeccably. And impeccability is just the best use of your, your energy. Keeping your energy levels, keeping vital, keeping your, your whole persona balanced like you can you can aim high and walk you can walk along a rocky ridge and look left and look right but ultimately you could walk along a razor's edge when you're that high up that fine you're touching it like a ballerina would touch you know if you want it or you can just come back down and walk a a rough a rough ridge let's call it that <laughs> I like that analogy, actually. Yeah, that sort of just come to me. <laughs> How do you get into Castaneda? It's good because when you, well, I call them power books because um, it doesn't matter whether it is the spoken word with the right intent or a book with the energetically correct intent. Let's put it that that's way. And it's how they do come to you is is very poignant, really, because this book. Uh, was destined for a friend of mine and another friend of mine had this book and some other castaneda books and this friend of mine who was um he was he was well into his psychedelics and he was into that side of life and i was talking to a friend of mine and um she said um Oh, he's, um, would he be interested in? He probably be, he would be interested in this book. And I said, oh, it might be. And I said, I'd never come across the the name. And in fact, I didn't read a lot in those days. And how old are you then? That was probably twenty years ago. So I was forty. That was forty-two. And business was good. Big house in the country, 12 horses, horse lorry, puppies on the porch, room for a pony. Yeah, business was good. Um, beautiful wife, four great kids, 
all achieving in their own way uh, and but I, I still felt now I use the word disconnected I was busy and I had the money the Rolls Royce the horses the farm boat yacht but I still whilst it was fun I still the 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 real core of me was not awake it was a bit like a pilot life and you're doing the motions which is fine because when you got kids you got responsibility and I'm a man who's always taken responsibility for my acts if I do something wrong and I'm the prat well you know pay the price for it so when kids come along you know you have to um you have to provide for them and so with all of that I well provided for them but you still feel this is not quite as connected as I should be you've got that disconnection it's good it's almost like you've designed like when I was at school you fit in you you fit in and it was like that you know well you know I I of late of the last few years I sort of surrender more acquiesce and say right okay um you know what is my life where is my life I know it wasn't there with all that and somebody would look at me you know with the beautiful wife the kids the horses and all that wow I want to swap with with him you know but you know, I would rather have swapped with the Dalai Lama or I would have rather swapped, you know, for, for a pair of sandals in a in a hut like you up in Norway, you know. But you don't because you've got kids and you've got responsibility. But now the kids have grown up and, and moved on, apart from Paul, so I'm still there for Paul. You just feel this um, disconnection. And so at that time, I was learning to play the piano fill in life with certain things and as I say this book was destined for a friend of mine and this friend of mine really had when I brought the book back down to to uh to here um it just sort of floated around the oh, he had no interest in in reading you know and I remember so you didn't give the book to your yes friend. I said oh but it floated around the office as if I'm you know I'm not really interested in in reading it really you know uh, I think so, he, so you gave it to him and he gave it you back. He he may have had it and took it away and it came back, but I, but anyway, it came into my hands, and I thought, well, I'll I'll I'll, I'll read this, and like you start reading, you thinking, what is this? You know, wow, this is weird and hard going. Well, that must have been which book would that have been then? What was the first one? Uh, a Yaki Way of Life. Second one is a separate reality. I think it must have been the first book then. But either way, I'm thinking, what, what the fuck is this? Like, really, this is the weirdest stuff I've ever read. But I'm hooked. Something's hooked me. Something has has got me enough that I'm, I'm, I'm I persevere with it and I, I read on. And normally, with, with a book, I, if it doesn't grab me, I'm not interested. But this did, and so I I read it, sort of digested it. And enough to then get, I think I borrowed the second book off my friend. I went, well, 
my mate didn't want it, but I've read it, and I was quite interested, and spoke to her a lot more about it then. Well, well, well you know, how did you get to hear of, of, of this Carlos Castaneda and all this wacky shit? And then the second book, and then from then on, I've read every book, and I've, I'm, I'm reading now... Um, I can't remember which which title it is now, but I'm reading that one for probably the fifth time, and I'm almost all the way through it. Um, I can't remember what it's called now. Active side of infinity. I think it might be that one. But it just gets more bonkers, doesn't it? Because he's cut connection from his actual contact, who's given him all this knowledge. After the third book, no. Yeah, so everything but, after that is just him making it up and it's just more ludicrous without the actual sort of Indian knowledge that some Mexican guy had been giving him. Yeah, but a lot of it, I find a lot of it is, what I like is the the, 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 the teachings in it seem to be logical to me. They are, but... Yeah. I don't know, it only take you so... Well, it only take me so far. Yeah. Because it is a lot of layers of bollocks and he has claimed it's a true story. That yeah. that one pissed me off slightly because that is he is totally the opposite of what his character in you know, he is in his book is trying to achieve. Yeah. He certainly did not become a man of knowledge if you're going around living a lie. It's not impeccable, I suppose. Well, I don't know because I don't I, I but don't... But but yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of truths. There's a lot of very good things woven in it. But yes, there are but there's yes. a, there is other books out there like Michael Harner and yes. Sandra Ingerman and stuff who they literally just give you the knowledge. They're like, well, yeah. just do this. We're not. I'm not going to like fancy add any up. fancy story. Yeah. Though the story is genius and he is the ultimate con man because it it's a fantastic you know because he's just an idiot. You know, he's the author, he's writing the book about himself going to be an apprentice to a Mexican shaman. And he's a fool. And you're reading it, you're like, Carlos, if I was in your situation, I'd be a way better apprentice than you. Come on, <laughs> sort your stuff out, you idiot. It's, you know, he puts that in your head. He make, you know, he puts himself down, so you really kind of buy into it. But, there's, but I find, what I do find other things interesting that come across is that, you know, he meets this character called Don Juan. Uh, his friends dying um, in California, and they, he drives to uh, Mexico, and he, he wants to say goodbye to the people because he's a, he's a dying man. And Carlos accompanies him, and then they talk. He talks about he wants to do these field studies and all this sort of stuff. But then he meets in a bus depot in Nogales. I don't know how you pronounce that. He meets this character called Don Juan for the first time. Who is? They said he's a cloud shaman and all this sort of stuff. But that's where he meets him for the first time. I found things like a link fascinating. Is that one of my favourite mathematicians in this country is Marcus de Satoy, and he does quite a bit of TV work and things like that. And fantastic mathematician, fascinated with prime numbers and stuff like that. And then he says, Marcus de Sato, when I was watching a documentary of him, and I'd love to email him, write to him and ask him the question, because he says prime numbers are fascinating. You know, he does a, for me, a documentary has got to be kid-based. It's got to be simple, otherwise I just don't get it, you know. And he says in that documentary, he says prime numbers. He starts to expl explain what prime numbers are. Quite a deep subject but he 
puts it in good terms, so I, I get it. So whenever he's does anything, Marcus de Satoy, I watch it because he can communicate to me. And I'm as thick as shit, but I, I sort of, I can follow a path of logic, and that, that's what I like about him. But he says then in the documentary, he says, prime numbers, blah, 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 the whole program's about prime numbers and the curve of a football, when it curves, and, and, and I'm coming to the point, but um, the... Uh, and he gets a, a, a glowing splint, you know, like you do in chemistry, you have a burning stick. And this one, he's got quite a magical one where he lights it. It's not magical, but it's obviously the chemicals within it. You light it and normally the smoke goes up, doesn't it? He lights this one on this documentary and the smoke goes down. And it starts to come away from the... Is it called a spill? Anyway, the, the burning stick. Let's call it the burning stick. A splint. A splint. It burns and the smoke goes down. And he says, now, if you look at smoke, it goes in a straight line. But at a certain point, it does this. It goes sort of random. He said, that's called chaos. He said, if you can give a theory and write it down, what chaos is, you get a million dollars. Fascinating, that is. But he says about the prime numbers and that. Then he says, bringing it back to Carlos Castaneda and all on, he said, even prime numbers, there's even a bus company in Mexico who use prime numbers for their route. And I'd love to write to him and say, is that Nogales? I love that kind of link. And I bet you it is the same but bus he, station. But, yeah, but he didn't meet... Don Juan wasn't real, and he didn't really well, meet him. No, but it's it's mentioned in, in a book, so it's there. The words are really in black and white. But where does... Does Carlos Casanova write that because Marcus de Satoy says they use prime numbers in Nogales? No. This is something in Nogales, the bus depot, uh, which mentions this character called Don Juan. And then the link is, like when you're in Norway and you meet the woman you emailed, the link is this a bus depot, and I'm... In the whole of Mexico. Uses <laughs> prime numbers for their bus routes. I get what you're saying, but I think that... Well, yeah, you don't, I, have, I will, you don't quite will, have all the evidence to back this up. I will write, I'll email yeah, Marcus de Sato. But everything in my body tells me it's Nogales. And I bet you'll write back and say, yes, yeah, that's the bus depot. And what a weird coincidence that that is the bus depot that the bullshitter, Carlos Castaneda, meets Don Juan. Well, it would be if we find out if it's true. And then I'll write to Marcus <laughs> de Sato and I'll, I'll email you my, I'll forward his reply and I bet it says dear John what a fascinating question yes it, no I won't prompt him I won't say was it Nagales I'll say what bus depot were you on about and hopefully he'll come back and say it's Nagales like, oh that's that's nice I love links like that because they're, they're above words then no matter what's written in the book the fact is I've read those words you've read those words you know, it's like that one night I was at home on my own. During my divorce, everybody else had gone out of the house. It was getting dark, so it was half ten, quarter to eleven, summer's evening, windows open in my bedroom, I sleep alone. And uh, I was reading Carlos Castaneda. Can't remember what book. I'd have to look it up. But it's reading the book, and he says, oh, yeah, and if you... You, if you hear a branch crack, you've got to go and check a branch cracked. I can't remember why, because otherwise the 
bogey bands coming or whatever. But you've got to check. I'm reading this now. Sitting in bed, at home, on my own. Black out the windows. Blackness out the windows. And as the moment I read that, I'm here an almighty branch crack. But for the fact I was reading it, you know, I thought, well, I probably would have shit myself. But I thought, oh, interesting. So then my human mind kicks in and says, oh, it's one of the horses. It'll be one of the horses pushed through the fence, leaning over, getting that extra blade of grass. And we've got like ranch fencing and he's broken the, the fence. So I don't need to go outside and check. It's a horse. Broken the fence. I can sort it out in the morning. And with that, finish reading, off to sleepy bars. So the next morning, I just thought I'll, I'll have a look to see where the horse is, how far has it gone, because it won't go further than the nearest blade of grass. And there was a big branch on the top of a tree, and there was no wind. This was a still night. Um, big branch on the top of a tree outside my window, snapped off and dangling down. And the, that 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 must have been four, five, six inches in diameter, and it split down. Explain that. No, that's a better synchronicity. Yeah, you like that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 many other many others. Um, in my in my life my journey and uh but that was that was that was that was poignant that was so okay he might have been a little bullshitter but the fact is i just read those words and outside that window was a you know and again we you know we've spoken in the past about you know i um you you've got uh the friend with the ufo sightings and i've seen in my life Two UFO sightings. I don't believe in UFOs, even to this day. But I, I like one that. of those sightings. Not on mushrooms. Not not and neither were on uh, on on oh, yeah. uh, mushrooms. But I st- and I still don't believe in 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 little green men and alien spaceships. But I, but I, you know, um, it's because you won't allow your uh, warehouse to expand, John. Well, I just, I, I just, I just think it's, um, it's, 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 it's more about us here on little old Earth. It's really centered on us down here on little old Earth for for whatever reasons. But for what reason do you have to think that? I just uh, the way energy works it's so efficient it's so efficient why does it why does it need all those fillers and little green men well then they're not fillers are they well they 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 don't exist. i mean they're certainly far less fillers than this mug i'm holding in my hand but that's that mug doesn't exist anyway that's just well, atoms. Neither does anything then. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. 
So actually, yeah, some are, are probably right. I mean, if they then, exist, then, just because you don't know something's purpose doesn't mean it doesn't have a reason for being there. Yeah. And and in reality, is going to be so mind-bogglingly bigger and more complex than you can possibly comprehend. Just because something doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean that, like, certainly what you perceive is just a tiny fragment of just what there is. I just, I just... I just think it's. I don't think it's. It's a necessary part. But neither is anything. If you if you look at it, so then why can't there be that? Like you're not necessary. No mm, offense. Yeah. I'm. I'm not necessary. <laughs> Everything's still going to keep ticking if we're not here. We give our own perception to the world, and we add like, my view of the world is totally unique compared to your view and the next person. Yeah, but then... that gives them that. That you know they give reality their own dimension and perspective so would some other alien other thing from other planets that do something totally differently than we do here i mean life could work totally different in different ways because of those different perspectives and the universe needs those life forms and perspectives because the earth doesn't see things like that and then we're only talking then about our universe and dimension like what about the other other dimensions if there's infinite dimensions yeah and maybe all these alien you know say alien alien what is a word for something that's different mm. you could have aliens at the bottom of the ocean right uh, it's not necessarily uh, necessarily an extraterrestrial swim off the coast of Dhabi. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mean whatever these alien sightings are and stuff could be other dimensional beings fairies yeah, but I think if they were other dimensional, Spirits. if they were there as other dimensional beings, why aren't they? Well, I'm not saying that they they don't communicate with us. I do think there is a is a, 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 a another layer. Well, the whole of shamanism is all about communicating. Yeah, with that's spirits. what I was going on to say. There's another layer of an, of the onion. Yeah, but it, most people aren't capable of yeah accessing. But it doesn't. Yeah, well, I think everybody can because it's in front of their very eyes. But what veils it is um, the fog again of fear, clarity, power, and the and the ticking clock. But every it's there I'm for bogged down in your nine to five. Yeah. or in life. Yeah, but then they, that's trapped in fear because you want to work to provide for your children because you fear that the children will suffer. Mm. You feel you will suffer. I want to make sure I'm what my and most people have planned out their lives right until the time they go in a box. But if you if you if you take the 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 fact that you are going to end up in a box or go back to this earth as your witness, so it all links. I like this word synchronicity. If you take that, bring it right back to the here and now to your very next decision, you act impeccably, energetically correct, which has got nothing to do with morality or anything anything like that. Then that, that to me is is logical. I like the click of the logic of that, and then you bring in the the little green men even though uh, when i was with the friend viewing the one alien let me call it an alien spaceship i got him to actually draw it because i said i know i've have seen one before many years ago and me and my brother who saw it never spoke about it for a l- literally 20 30 years never mentioned oh is that when you're driving a car and was it like a no, I had to walk our friend home because he was. He was came there, back there was in, a big tube or something? It was just it was just lights, uh, like a vessel with lights on it, following us at about two 
I remember because there was when we our drive was very dimly lit, but when you go onto the main road, you've got lampposts, and it was like twice the height of a lamppost. That was how I could sort of correlate the the height of it, and even seeing that, yes, but we didn't speak about it for literally thirty about thirty years. Could be thirty years, twenty years, twenty five years. And it was my wife at the time. We were talking with friends and talking about alien and UFOs. And I went, oh, I've seen a UFO. And, and then she went, oh, have you? You never said that. And I, I said, well, yeah. And I gave the story of the sighting. And uh, I said, if you phone my brother and you, you'll... We haven't spoken about it, but phone him and see what he says. <laughs> Just in case I am deluded. And pretty much verbatim, he relayed the same story. And that was the first time... Well, I didn't speak to him. She spoke to him on the phone. And then we met up, because he lived not far from me, the day after, and we, 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 we spoke about it again then. And we've never, I've never spoken to the friend who, who came running in scared because this thing was following him. Never spoken to him from that day, from that day until today. Never spoken to him. So if I see him again, it'd be good to, you know, hey, Dave, do you remember when you were, you were a strapping young... 16, 17 year old and you were scared shitless by her. And so I, you agree that there's things Oh, and yes, people I are agree. experiencing things so then that you, yes. aren't norm, normally supposed to be there. Yeah, but because we didn't speak about that, that's why when I saw another one up in the Stiper Stones, I got the friend I was with to draw it. And uh, I was um, associated with the Pony Club then because of the kids. And I, the only thing we'd got in the car was a pony club pamphlet or brochure and I got him to draw it uh, because I said last time I saw a UFO I never spoke about it for 25 years so you you know you might forget tomorrow and so he he drew what we both saw I thought if we both drew it but he drew it and I got him to sign it I wish I could find that book now <laughs> and what did it look like um it was like it was long Aluminium, say that. Windows. What sort of shape? Uh, rectangular. Rectangular windows. In fact, you'll have to ask um, Graham, yeah, and when you see Graham next, and say no, to him, Graham's, yeah. "Yeah, you'll have to say to Graham, oh, and let's see what he says." You know. Uh, but I got him to draw it because I said the last time, no, you know, nothing was spoken about for twenty odd years. I said, so you might forget tomorrow. So he, he drew it. But even then, yes, those things. Uh, do I think there was a, a a metallic? Well, was there a metallic spaceship going across the planet? Well, no more than that cup and that vase, because it's all energy. It's all atoms. It's all. But yeah, but that's an irrelevant statement because if so is the so is the vase, then that thing has just as much significance as that vase in front of you. But and I, are you going to deny the but, existence but, of that? But I don't see the logic in it. I see the logic of that. Vase. Ah, but why does it have to have logic? That's oh. a very left brain thing to be. Uh, oh, it's, it's, to need. It's 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 got because, a, it's got to fit into the big picture. Ah, yes, but you don't know the big picture. Yeah, and just because it just because it doesn't make sense to your logic does not mean that there is so much if greater if logic. If they're out. flying around quite nicely and quite silently in an aluminium or well yeah but nobody's saying that are they like they I could am, be from that's a, what I yeah saw. but they could be from another dimension it could be passing through portals could be flickering between things i mean it looks like one thing 
but like I mean, yes, for the, I get the example, yeah. you know, is it a man? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Superman. Your eyes are, yeah. you know, our senses are pretty shit. We can. Yes, I get that. And I, and I, I think, I mean, there, there was quite a bit of time difference between my, my two sightings. And if I went out into the car park now and saw, as I did actually, when I was having, we were having a Chinese takeaway in the showroom, which we often used to with some friends many years ago. And I, I was facing out the window, sitting in the front here, and I was facing out the window. It was pitch black outside. I thought, oh, my God, there's some sort of... I think I'm having another UFO sighting. It wasn't. You know, it was. a um, One of those um, Chinese... Chinese lantern. <laughs> it was a Chinese lantern. They were very early, those when they were very first started. And you see this light gliding across the sky. And I'm like, I'm trying to carry on conversation, but all I'm doing is I'm transfixed with... What's out the window? What? Anyway, it was a, obviously a Chinese Chinese lantern. Well, <laughs> I I assume it was a Chinese lantern. Mm. My my warehouse has got Chinese lanterns in, so I labelled it as a Chinese warehouse. And then I was walking up from when I lived in, on the uh, my farm, uh, and we were just finished playing cricket. Quite a few family members went down in the field, and we were having a great game of cricket. And we're all walking back up the house, and I saw a ball of light go from left to right quite sedately across the skyline I was like everybody's walking up the house nobody's seen it but I've seen it what am I looking at so every we, we all went up the house and I went I've just seen something I need to just go and retrace my steps to see what did I see and where did I see it and I went back down the hill and walked back up and looked and all I could see that it could have been was because I want to fit this to a bit of logic, was the power lines coming to the house or, and the neighbours, that was the path it took. It was along that line. And I I remember making a bit of an inquiry at the time, can you get these power surges or whatever along there? And that's all I I don't know. Maybe it was a an alien, I don't know. But, 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 but it followed the line perfectly along these electric lines. So my warehouse has electric lines and has electricity and lights and sparks. And so we've got a label on that. Got to label it. Well, we can finish it there, I think. We'll have to do another one because there's a whole a whole lot of Castaneda to go through. Yet yeah, We've only covered barely two books. <laughs> I'm on the, what about the Wheel of Time? What about the first ring of power? What about the second ring of power? This 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 bullshit of Carlos Castle. Yeah, and what about some real shamanism? You need to read Michael Hanna. Yeah, I've got that book on my list. Yeah, of mine. that and uh, Sparkwood for the bed. Should nice. <laughs> 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 we do this, John? It's good. Thank you. If you like the podcast, any positive feedback on whatever platform you're listening on would help out a lot. And if you really love it, there are links to a Patreon in the show notes. Mm-hmm.